With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoopsology, welcome back the host of AM Hoops on YouTube, Casey Kiernan. Both Matt and Justin enjoyed Casey's analysis on the NBA, and this episode is no different, as he discusses why Luka Doncic's play raises a lot of red flags in his opinion. He asks if Luka is destined just to win only one NBA title or to be a multiple-time NBA champion. We'll also discuss the struggling Chicago Bulls and why they have been mismanaged, and we discuss a lot more NBA topics as well. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. If you send us an email, we'll read it on the air. So please, please send us your comments agreeing or disagreeing with the host. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcasts. And now, Casey Kiernan. He is the host of AM Hoops on YouTube. We welcome back Casey Kiernan onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Casey? Hey, guys. It's going great. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for coming back to the show. Really appreciate it. Um, on much better circumstances, just, you know, not having to deal with the pandemic. Just nice for things just to be back to normal from just a sports standpoint. Um, I want to just chat with you about some of your recent videos. I, I, I think you're probably the premier, premier expert just in terms of just the NBA. And just love just to get your insight on this season. So I just want to get started on Luka Doncic. Uh, Matt and I have been very high on him this season. But I'm just watching your video. I, I think it's it's a huge uh, dose of truth serum just regarding, like, what his future is within the NBA. And you raise a lot of red flags just in terms of the stuff to watch out for, not only this season, but the rest of his career. So just him, just not really good on defense, just um, traditionally coming into the season out of shape, even though this season might be a little bit different, just him playing in Eurobasket. But um, and him, just his terrible body language traditionally. Um, I just want to ask you, so far this season, a lot of pundits have him in the MVP discussion, leading the MVP discussion. Um, have you seen any at all improvements in terms of Luka improving the flaws in his game? And if not, do you think you know he might be heading down a road similar to like a James Harden? Like, what, what do you think? What do you assess of his um, game so far this season? Well, I don't really like the James Harden comparison. I know first, I think Colin Coward made that comparison on his show, and then. I think, I don't know if you guys have seen recently on Twitter or on social media, people have been bringing that up. There's like this one great clip some guy put together where it's them doing the exact same moves. And that's a great post. Like it's a great post (laughs) on social media. But the difference between Harden and Luka is that Luka gets better in the playoffs. And Harden, uh, you know, he's had year after year after year after year of, of disappointment. And so I don't like that comparison, but I get what people mean. He's got the same step back move, uh, racks up a lot of points and assists, um, not great on defense. So I, I get that. But, you know, my main red flag, I mean, sure, the body language and the out of shape thing, those are, you know, that's one thing. You could maybe put some of that to his age. You know what I mean? I think he's only 22 years old. The bigger red flag for me is, um, is he going to be the kind of player who will make other guys the best version of themselves? Will he use his superpowers for good, essentially? 
And, you know, the, the comparison I made in the video was not James Harden, but LeBron James, because LeBron in his first Cavs stint, he did the same thing that Luca is doing now. He didn't mm-hmm. have great teammates. And in, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, LeBron would take over games when he needed to, and he would involve his teammates, but, you know, they could never get over the hump. But then when LeBron went to Miami, it's not just that he racked up assists. It's that he was able to make his superstar teammates the best superstar versions of themselves. That is such a rare talent in the NBA. And LeBron was over proving that he was the man. He needs the ball in his hands all the time, that he can be the best player on the game. Like, we all know that. Like, we get it. Like, you drug a really bad Cavs team to the finals in 2007. He already proved that. His next stage of development was really involving other guys in a way that um, that let them be themselves and that the game wasn't all about LeBron. D. Wade could be himself. Chris Bosh could be himself. And then he did that, you know, with Kyrie and then with Anthony Davis in the bubble. I just don't know if that's who Luka wants to be. I don't know if Luka... Mm if this just isn't how he wants to play, I mean, you know, <clears throat> Christophs for Zingas, they got Christophs for Luca and and it didn't work. And it didn't work, not just because of the injuries or personality stuff. We heard a little bit of the personality stuff. It's that Christophs hated being turned into a seven foot one, three point shooter. Mm. And it was all about Luca and people will blame Rick Carlisle. They're like, well, that's the coach's fault. Honestly, Carlisle is just, responding to how Luca plays the game. This is how Luca plays, you know, and they're, they're rewarded with the number one defense in the NBA. And I can't imagine how tough it must be to be a guy like Luca or Harden or any of these guys where can you imagine if you have the ball in your hands, you know, you could take this guy right in front of you one-on-one and score, you know, you can, how in the heck do you relinquish that? I mean, that would take, uh, that would take faith in your teammates. It would take uh, humility. You, it would be taking a chance. And so a guy like LeBron, that's why I give him even more props is because he knew like, man, me one-on-one, I could kill this dude. But he still gives the ball up in a big – like that's so crazy that he that he does that um, and that he did that when he was younger. I'm just concerned that that Luka is never going to evolve into the t- into the Miami LeBron years. And then he's going to stay in the LeBron early Cavs years. Obviously, I don't know. But when we saw it with Kristaps, he relegated Kristaps. And Kristaps was an all-star for a reason when he was a Nick. You know, it's like he had such a vast array of skill sets. But that skill set was whittled down to one thing, which was shooting threes. That's so crappy to me. Mm -hmm. And so that was my main concern. No, I feel you. Um I want to ask you about what does Mark Cuban do then? If Lucas is going to stay at at this level, is there anything that Mark Cuban can ultimately do to extract Lucas, you know, positive, you know, playing abilities in terms of, you know, getting getting the Mavericks to the ultimate destinations with this them winning the championship or is it do you think you see a future where they just cut bait with Luca eventually if if he can't win? <laughs> no, I mean, never, never, never. You would never ever ever <laughs> with a guy like Luca, you know, I do think that he's talented enough that I I would bet that he would win at least one championship. Just that's how talented he is. 
It's just that when you get a guy who's compared to Larry Bird and LeBron, you want to see more than one. But, you know, in terms of what they can do, the only thing they can do is give him is set him up to succeed. And the way you do that is getting these superstar teammates for him. And LeBron had to leave Cleveland to get those superstar teammates. And they and the Mavs don't want to see that happen to themselves. So what do they do? They get, you know, the best of the best, or at least they try. And the date that I circled on the calendar is 2025. The good news is Luca is under contract until 2027, I believe. So they have time. Um, and so the 2025 date is important because the salary cap is going to go up similar to when it did in 2016. I don't know if you guys remember that, but a whole bunch of guys got paid. Like Chandler Parsons got a hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Evan Turner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's going to happen again in 2025, which is great. Right. And that also lines up with an amazing free agent class. If you go look it up, it's Donovan Mitchell. It's Jason Tatum. It's uh, who else? Who are the other young guys? I, I forget who the young guys were, but, if you want to talk vets, it's or older guys, it's Jimmy Butler, it's Kawhi Leonard again, it's Paul George again. Like all of these guys are going to be available, <laughs> and we're assuming like, oh, people might want to come play with Luca, right? Well, if that's true, man, they're going to have space for like two max free agents. Who are they going to get? It's going to be so exciting. Hmm. But on top of that, the price that they paid for Kristaps Porzingis with the draft picks and everything, that price is going to be fully paid off. You're done. You have a clean slate, as many first-round picks as you want to as you want to trade, as much money as you want to spend, and so I think 2025 is going to be the biggest off-season for the Mavs to set Luca up for success. And honestly, that's all they can do is just surround him with the right team. You know what I mean? Hopefully, they have the right coach in place by that time, and then. But beyond that, you know, Luca is going to have to make that decision who he wants to be. Yeah, maybe that's good pacing in some ways because as you're in your younger years, you can get up all the shots you want, you can do the things you want to do, kind of maybe get that out of your system a bit more. And, um, you know, like, like when we look at Michael Jordan, I mean, one of the narratives was he needs to be in this triangle offense that will complement him well to share the ball. You made the great comparison with LeBron there. So maybe it's just a matter of, of time with him being 22, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. And that's a great point about the triangle. I mean, you know, uh, Michael wasn't allowed to be, the man for 48 minutes now obviously in crunch time you know that's who on, right? <laughs> right. But, but there's a great uh, anecdote in phil jackson's book called 11 rings and uh phil had looked at you know everything that michael had accomplished which was a time the scoring champion multiple years mvp but they couldn't get past the pistons and phil asked michael into his office and he said michael you are going to have to if you want to win you're going to have to give up the ball and you may never, ever be the scoring champion again. Are you willing to do that? Mm. And Michael was mad. Michael famously hated the triangle offense at first, <laughs> but after a couple of days, him thinking about it, he thought, you know what? Yes, I'm willing to sacrifice that. If you really think that we can do this now, it ended up, he ended up being the scoring champion again, like all that. So like it still came, <laughs> right. but the fact was that he had this heart to heart. It's a great anecdote in that book. If you guys ever get a chance, it's, it's really awesome. Do you think we can see the same conversations in, in the modern day NBA? I mean, um, you know, I, I think players like you look at KD, there's a lot of drama on the nets, but I mean, the guy on the court, I, I can't fault him for the effort he puts in on his game, things like that. Do you think these same kind of conversations can go down the same way in the modern day NBA? 
I think it depends on, you know, person to person, don't you? I mean, sure. you know, it's like, it's like, who are these stars as a person? I mean, that's what made Tim Duncan so great was that he allowed himself to be coached by Greg Popovich. And you're right. The star has so much power in the NBA. The star can almost always get the coach fired if he wants. But I think, so honestly, it's like, that's who Tim was. Like Tim was the kind of guy who had that level of humility. And so, but then, you know, Allen Iverson in that era wasn't that guy. So, you know, I just really think it comes down to the individual. When you talk about this day and age, I get that nowadays there's more player empowerment, but I still think that a player's values and who they really are and that humility can still break through all that. I really do. Absolutely. And and it does seem like that was one of the major reasons that Jason Kidd was was brought in eventually is he can be that influential voice for Luca. Is, is there anything you're seeing so far in interactions you're seeing either between them or just on the team level with Dallas as, as far as how Jason Kidd is doing with that team? He still has awkward moments. I think Jason Kidd's always been a dude who will have like an awkward moment here and there. I don't know if you guys saw his press conference about Christian Wood. <laughs> it was so funny. It was like, <laughs> he just, I don't know if you'll saw that, but he like, he's trying to send Christian Wood a message through the media about his defense and about his minutes. And he just starts rambling on and on. He starts missing <laughs> players. It's just weird. Right. So I'm not a hundred percent sold on Jason Kidd, but you know, I mean, they made the West finals last year and, um, sure. He does seem like that kind of coach who can straddle the line of both being the the disciplinarian, but also the players coach, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's too early to judge him with this team, but I think, you know, I, I think he's doing a good job. Casey, I, I want to talk to you about another video you produce, and that's on the Chicago Bulls, a team that's near to my heart. Um, when CNN, I think it's one of those things when you kind of – I kind of compare it to you have high hopes for like a situation, but in, in actual reality, you knew that situation wasn't going to turn out the way that um, you originally ex- expected. And I think with the Bulls, I saw him play against the, the Nuggets. Um, I think Lonzo played in that game. Really excited about the future just compared to the past years. But um, just really watching your video and just assessing does Vucevic and does Zach Levine and just this entire squad, I think he laid it out pretty perfectly in terms of really this team is this really doomed just to be maybe just a sixth or a fifth, sixth, a fifth or sixth seed for forever unless they make any changes. So just the way that the team is constructed now – just keeping it real, like with Zach Levine, just honestly, you know, being kind of second, you know, behind a older DeMar DeRozan. I mean, is it just best for this, this Bulls team just to kind of start over again? I mean, I know that's, that's terrible news for me even to say that, but just what you're assessing and just seeing this team just move on all the roll, I just think they're kind of just destined just to be, you know, just barely above a play in team in the NBA. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, it, it's it's kind of I agree with you like I'm not even a Bulls fan but I it's depressing to me and it's like you know just to kind of recap their situation you mentioned DeMar is a little older I think he's 33 years old uh Zach Levine's on a max contract they they got Nikola Vucevic who is a two-time all-star but you know he's kind of that Demonis Sabonis type all-star where he's an all-star name 
in name only, but you know, it says it on his Wikipedia page, but he, he doesn't really pop <laughs> off the screen, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's like they paid two draft picks for him and both of those draft picks turned into really great players. Not, not two draft pick one uh, draft pick in Franz Wagner and the other is Wendell Carter. And that there's actually another draft pick that's yet to be selected. That's right. So mm. this is even worse. And so <laughs> I think that's the kind of move that you make when you're going all in. You know, you sell part of your future. You're going all in. You get DeMar DeRozan. You pay him more than anyone thought. You're going all in. And we saw what all in looked like last year. Granted, Lonzo was injured. But, you know, they were pretty easily beaten in that first round by the Bucks. And so where do you go from there? If you've kind of already gone all in and you weren't very competitive, where do you go? I think it's a very smart move to re-sign Zach Levine. Because that gives them options. You know, Zach becomes an asset if he's on your books. So either he plays for you or you trade him. You know what I mean? And so obviously the right decision to re-sign him to a max contract. But, uh, you know, what should they do? Should they rebuild now or should they ride it out for a couple more years and just kind of, you know, definition of insanity, you know? Um, I don't know, man. It's hard to say. I mean, how could you tell somebody to blow it up, you know, at this point? That just seems crazy. I think part of the rationale for keeping it together is the whole Lonzo piece and saying that, you know, we were the number one seed before Lonzo got injured, so why don't we just wait for him to come back and see what happens? And so ultimately, I think that's what they'll do, right? Because, yeah. I mean, it did look good at, at times, and they were much better on defense than people thought. And so I think they'll wait for Lonzo to get back. Obviously, we don't know about that. It's been a year, basically, almost a year. And it's just for a meniscus tear. Normally, that's like a, I don't know, four-month injury. It's been a yeah. year. So there's a lot of mystery going on there. Yeah. So I really don't know what they should do, but I think they're going to wait for, for Zoe. Um, what do you think of DeMar DeRozan's resurgence? Because I, I would say he's playing some of the best basketball in Chicago despite the circumstances. Um, where do you think his future goes if Chicago just decides to, you know, ultimately you know, move in a different direction? Do you, how do you think his value is going to be assessed, you know, just on the, on the trade market or the free agent market or whenever he's, when is he available? Just considering I think he's played pretty well for Chicago ever since he's gotten there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's been great. Um, He's so much fun to watch, isn't yes. he? I mean, you're a Bulls fan. Isn't yeah. it great to see all the mid-range shots? He's like, <laughs> I'm not saying he's like Jordan, but just the the way that he plays. Oh, I love um, <laughs> Clutch shots yes. too, big yeah. shots. He he seems like a really good teammate. So I think he'll uh, he would be wanted by a lot of teams. I know he was an inch away from being a Laker right That's before he signed with the Bulls, and and they're gonna have 35 million in cap space this summer. So. I'm not saying that DeMar's a free agent, but they could make some sort of a trade. Um, but no, I don't think that the Bulls would be looking to trade DeMar DeRozan at all. I think it would be two years from now, if anything. So I think he'll be a Bull at least through next season. Casey, had to ask your thoughts about the Celtics' dominance early on. I mean, recently everyone's been talking about their historically high offensive rating, like best in league history. Um, what are your thoughts just looking at that team? And it it seems like from things I've listened to and watched, they really haven't changed things all that much schematically. So maybe it speaks to just the continuity of the core of this team being together for so long. But what are you seeing from the Celtics when you watch them? Yeah, I think it's really, to me, it's two things. It's uh, uh, 
the head coach and also the front office. So Brad Stevens, the team that he's put together, when I watched them play, especially the starters, it's literally five guys who can all defend and who can all score in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And that include, I mean, like you start from the top, it's like Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Obviously, Robert Williams hasn't been there yet, but he'll he'll be great when he comes back. And then you have <laughs> random Sam Hauser guy. Like, yeah. where did he come from hitting all these threes? Uh, and then, you know, obviously the down the bench guys like a Peyton Pritchard or whatever. But like their starting lineup and a little bit through their like they're like seven man rotation is the best in the NBA. Uh, the Warriors have a really good starting lineup as well, but. Literally, it's all guys who can defend well and score themselves. Everyone. It's like there isn't a weak link in that in that seven-man rotation. And I think that's why it's so impressive. And they're all guys who are like smart basketball players. Like yeah. Malcolm Brogdon doesn't get much better than that. Derek White, who came from the Spurs, he's such a smart player. Obviously, Tatum's taken an MVP-type leap, which is great. Marcus Smart is another type of guy. Al Horford, like... Al Horford being on any contender would be great, but here he is on this team and he's not even going to be their starting center when Rob will comes back. So I just think they're deep. They're smart. They defend well. They all can score. They're such a smart, even front office head coach, like everything about that team is awesome. And seems like there's no lull, no depression from last year in, in terms of, you know, losing in the final seems like they are just hungry and, and ready to get yeah, after it. Yeah. And we were concerned about Joe Missoula, right? But right. He's picked right up, man. So I don't know. It's like I feel like some things if you're a if you have a good culture and you're a good uh, not good. Good's a horrible adjective. If you are a uh, I don't know about solid either, but if you are kind of a healthy, well put together, well run franchise, you can weather a crisis like that. But imagine mm-hmm. that happening to a franchise, no offense, like the Kings or the yeah. Knicks or the, yeah. you know, but yeah. like, I think yeah. it speaks so much to the Celtics and how well run they are that they can absorb a crisis like that and keep going. You know what I mean? And that's like very few franchises are like that. The Spurs are like that. The Celtics are like that. The Warriors are like that. Uh, but very few franchises can do it, but they've proven it, you know? Great point. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Justin, go for it. If, if okay. you had follow-up on the Celtics, go for it. Um, I, I just want to see where do you think what happens, because I, I think they're the favorites to go to the NBA Finals again. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen any improvements in terms of if they were to have a rematch with the Warriors or any other Western Conference foe that you think they can take the title home, or do you think there's still some flaws that they haven't addressed that you know they, they can fall victim to? I think – that they're definitely hungry and they've, they've taken steps, you know, obviously making it to the NBA finals, a big step. I think they went to the Eastern conference finals three or four years prior to that. So they're ready. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I think that the warriors just aren't as deep as they were last year. They replaced three guys, 29 years or older. Let me see if I can rattle them off. Gary Payton, the second Otto Porter jr. And Amanda Bielitsa with three guys who are, 21 and younger (laughs) like that's not good you know it's like Moses Moody Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman so you know I think that the Warriors depth would definitely be an issue although Dante DiVincenzo's look good these last couple games so um but yeah man I I see I have no 
beef with anyone picking the C's at this point. Man, they they've paid their time. I think they're on the hero's I know, journey right? here. This this is like the hero's right. journey season right. for them. Yeah, but it, <laughs> dude, get honestly, it to me, it's it's always like that with teams. Like they take steps, right? They take their lumps. Like you even think about the Bucks. Like how many times did they lose? And we're like, oh, they build the wall against Yana. Like all that narrative. And then eventually, it's like you take steps and you break through. It's always been that way. It was like that for LeBron. It was like that for MJ. And so I think that they've earned it. Yep, I, I would definitely agree with that. And uh, another thing I, I wanted to get your opinion on is just general excitement, because there there have been a lot of, uh, I mean, things that we've expected to happen this season that a quarter of the way so far have have kind of happened. I mean, the Celtics and Bucks being good or, or looking decent, at least, is no surprise. But things like Shea Gilgis-Alexander's performance and and the Thunder just not being like a rollover team, like no offense, they were for a, at least a good portion of the season last year. Uh, things like, you know, the Pacers being, I believe, fourth or fifth in the East right now when they were expected to be like an early and often tanking type of team. Same with the Jazz being interesting in the West to kick things off and the Wizards. I mean, I'm not saying those teams are going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs, but for me have been pleasant surprises. What have you been most pleasantly surprised about looking around the league um, to start the season? I think it's probably the Pacers because if you look at their preseason win totals, so Vegas every year, they uh, do an over under on how many wins a team's going to get. And then people can bet they'll get over under no team had a lower total than the India, uh, the Indianapolis Pacers. It was 23 and a half. And we're almost uh, to that, and we're not even through November yet. <laughs> and wow. so I just look at this rebuild, right? And yeah. it's like they're kicking all these other rebuilds in the butt. Like, you mentioned the Thunder, the Pistons. They're taking forever to get good. But when they traded Damana Burton, I think we all thought, okay, they're finally going to rebuild. Yeah. Um, and you know, they traded Sabonis for Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and someone else a bench player but you know that's a rebuild when when you trade an all-star two-time all-star for a second year player it's like okay we're kind of waving the white flag and then we thought oh miles turner buddy healed their days are numbered it's been 300 days and they're still on the team (laughs) and then on top of that dude they uh they get jalen smith from phoenix for just a second round pick and tory craig and so almost nothing and what do they get back their new starting center who is now averaging double digits and he's looking like he can sort of revive that reputation of being a top 10 pick then they they get a very solid draft pick in chris Duarte, right last year this mm-hmm. pick they had to hit this pick so much pressure on this pick this year because they hadn't had a pick this high since 1989 this mm. is a team that does not tank right they nail it with benedict matherin kid is scoring like 20 points a game off the bench he is challenging paolo bancaro for rookie of the year off the bench and he was the number six pick i don't think anyone's ever won rookie of the year and six man of the year at the same time but he could potentially <laughs> do it. and the kid looks like a future all-star part of it is the chemistry of tyrese halliburton so you know we mentioned the trade what about the leap that he's taken? And you mentioned Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'll put Tyrese's leap up there right with SGA. I know SGA drops like 30 a night, but Tyrese just had 
40 plus uh 40 something assists with zero turnovers and he's the first guy in the nba to ever hit that ever and so you know ben matherin is so lucky to be sharing the backcourt with this kid and we talked about rick carlisle earlier carlisle we've seen he rubs some vets the wrong way you know like the way he talks to them (laughs) but i think he's actually a good teacher for a younger type player because he is that imposing presence. Maybe the way he talks to him, more like a college coach. I think younger guys kind of respond to that. So Ben Matherin's in a great place. But imagine this quote-unquote rebuild, guys. It's been, what, a year and a half? And they could say the word playoffs without us laughing at that. <laughs> like, that's wild, yeah. dude. Because we all thought. And so to me, it's like, wow, dude. Vegas predicts you're the worst team in the league. And you proved them wrong by November. To me, that's amazing. No, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, Casey, one last question. We'll let you go with this. Um, Matt and I have been really impressed with just like the the younger talent in the season so far, and really, you know, you know, having a league pass subscription, like you can't really go wrong in terms of you know finding you know entertainment value in whatever team you're seeing on like a nightly basis. Um, is this the best talent you've seen in the league? You know, in a little bit, just in terms of night to night, just in terms of hey, you might see two like you know bottom teams, but at least the, you know you're not seeing a bunch of scrubs, you know, on there. You're seeing like a lot of premier young talent that could be the future of the league you know on a daily basis and the games are competitive as well um this i but this is the first time i'm a league pass subscriber and i've just really noticed that you know on a nightly basis that you're not seeing you know a ton of blowouts all the time comparison years past so kind of what's your assessment this season just in terms of kind of competitiveness within the league this year i totally agree with that and i haven't actually heard enough people talk about that that's such a good point um and i honestly think it's even more of a reason for expansion. I remember a few years ago, like those horrible Bobcats teams or, yeah. you know, the, the process Sixers, it was like, man, teams just aren't good. But I think everything you said, Justin was right about the young players, the overall talent. And it's such a global game now that I feel like, you know, the talents, the talent pool isn't just the United States anymore. It's Europe. It's Canada, too, right? Like Ben Mapperin, we just mentioned, he's from Montreal. Um, And so, and obviously Wiggins and SGA and all that. And so, you know, I really, you know, it's like when you watch baseball sometimes, you know, some of the, like, you remember when the Cubs were losing 100 games a year, the Astros, before they (laughs) are what they are now. And it's like, dude, they're rolling out a bunch of AAA baseball teams out there. I feel like that era in the NBA right now is gone. And so I feel like, dude, they could expand to 32, and it would actually make sense from a talent standpoint and a uh, a product standpoint on our TVs, you know? Um, so, dude, I couldn't agree more, Justin. I think it's awesome. Uh, you mentioned expansions. So, like, what cities do you think would be, you know, a great candidate for that? We've heard Seattle, Vegas. Is there any other Mexico you know, city? Mexico City, we've even heard. Yeah, we heard Mexico City, but um... – you know, what about the altitude? Did you guys know? So, you know, Denver's the mile high city, right? It's yeah. 5,200 something feet, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone talks about, oh, the Denver, Utah uh, trap, you know, when guys <laughs> go on a road swing and they'll lose because it's like, oh man, the altitude. Well, Mexico City's 7,000 something feet. Wow. So, like, that's <laughs> like, what? So, dude, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Mexico City, it's like we all feel like Vegas and Seattle are the front runners. I just 
think that Mexico City sounds nice and in in good in some respects, but it's got some things that count against it. And with Vegas and Seattle, the front runners, I don't know if Mexico City can pass them up. No, I feel you. I because you know I'm a big MMA fan. I remember UFC had a huge event in Mexico City, and all the guys were super tired. It was not a fun card to watch just because right. they got super exhausted. So there'd be oxygen <laughs> tanks on the sideline, like yeah. in football. Yeah, right. <laughs> Casey, really appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media, and then also um, where they can catch your YouTube show as well. Yeah, just uh, Casey Kiernan on Twitter, and the name Hoops on youtube awesome thanks casey very much appreciate it all right thanks guys